0: Welcome to the Online for Authors podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Palmer. This episode is highlighting author Andy Fry, who's written for Rolling Stone, ESPN, and other publications. Currently, he writes about sports business for Forbes. Over his career, Andy has interviewed hundreds of athletes, rock stars, and TV celebrities. Some recording artists he's interviewed include Smashing Pumpkins, Oasis, Morrissey, Jimmy Eat World, Rage Against the Machine, and Alice in Chains. I'm looking forward to learning about his book, 90 Days in the 90s, a rock and roll time travel story. Welcome, Andy. Hello. Nice to meet you. We met via PodMatch? Yeah. How did you learn about PodMatch?
1: uh i had another author friend my friend terry brown who writes stuff that's very different for me tell me about it i had never heard of it before i'm just i'm kind of late to the party in a lot of things um so strangely i'd never heard of pod match but but then i checked it out and you know for me i talked to a lot of uh people do podcasts on pop culture and and or sports mm-hmm. in part because i'm a sports writer by trade and then i wrote this book 90 days in the 90s which is Time travel, which has a heavy dose of 90s movie and music and other types of, of pop cultures. Just kind of seek out like-minded people who are talking about some of the same things that I've written about, and but also some literary podcasts too. I like to talk about the writing process with anybody who's interested in it, because I think that different uh, all, writers have all have different experiences, but I think we have some some commonalities in terms of like the way we come up with ideas and keep hold on to those ideas and decide whether or not we want to make a book out of them.
0: It's fantastic that you mentioned her. It's heartwarming to know that, you know, we're connected to a very amazing individual.
1: Yeah, well, I think she's pretty smart. Like we both are, uh, I guess, you know, we both like what we wrote. So we're we're not shy about promoting it to the sort of the crowd of people. Or maybe a target to is a, a phrase of who we think is going to be interested. So, I mean, she probably writes for people more interested in deeper cut literature that has to deal with social problems in, in contemporary history and I'm contemporary history in so far insofar as like people want to sit there and talk about their top 10 albums or you know when they're in a band or what they remember about the 90s so I think the the points are a little bit different but the approach for us because I know writers and I'm sure she does too and you probably know too where great writers really motivated motivated about writing but just like maybe it's introverted versus extroverted thing that they don't want to they feel weird about like contacting people, even a podcast, and or even just sort of like talking up what they've done. That's great, and I'm um, definitely you know, I know that you need to kind of put yourself out there. Like I, I have a lot of writer friends who, you know, want to write for a, a publication. Let's just say like I, if I had a, a sports writer friend who wants to write his or her first article for ESPN, they're shy about contacting the editor. I'm like, you need to not be shy. You need to just put it out there, and then if they say no, it's not nothing personal. You need to just kind of put yourself out there and not, uh, you know, sort of limit your abilities to, to get published just because you, you're a little shy or, or you know, you're contacting somebody you never talked to before. So I think that's something I don't really see in authors um, that's that common. I think that we should all be tooting our own horns and talking about the cool stuff that we've done.
0: Which is exactly why Online for Authors exists. Tell me about you.
1: So I've been a writer professional for about 10 years a little over 10 years, put my first article out that ever got published on ESPN back in July of 2011. Sorry, I'm just bad with numbers. And there's a piece for ESPN um, about kind of, I used to do extreme sports, but it's sort of about a sport that nobody ever heard of that there was a World Cup for called fistball. And fistball is kind of like a variant of volleyball, but long story short, it's uh, played in Scandinavia and South Africa and Brazil and Germany. And then there was this world cup going on in Austria and then there's this ragtag team of American players in Wisconsin that I don't even know how, I don't even remember how I got the lead, but it was kind of interesting and weird enough that I pitched an article in ESPN was like, okay, we've never heard of this, but it sounds legit. So let's, you know, take a quirky angle to it. And I just did that for a while. and I just uh, built kind of built relationships and took opportunities one, one by one, uh, wrote for ESPN for about six years until maybe like 2016 and then I uh, made a contact at Rolling Stone right when they had a a new sports editor. And I live in Chicago. I don't know if you can tell by the Wrigley Field sign behind me. But um, the editor, lucky, lucky for me, when I emailed him, uh, I found out that he was a Cubs fan from Chicago, and the Cubs were headed to the World Series. And uh, so we just talked about ideas there, and I pitched some ideas, and he said yes and no. And we, we came up with something just to kind of talk about what, Rolling Stone was doing at the time, which was sort of expanding their pop culture footprint through sports um, and a little bit of music. So I just, I was writing about baseball and interviewed some other, you know, some other big name athletes for the year and a half or so that I was writing for them, better part of two years. It's always been kind of looking for new opportunities, not really expecting to be brought on as like a full-time writer. I've been a freelance writer the whole time, but I've got to do a lot of cool things And this book that I wrote, uh, 90 Days in the 90s, came out of probably two things. My love for music. I've been in Chicago since 1994. But probably in my sports writing, the main thing is I've been, the task at hand usually is storytelling someone else's story. So I got to interview Billie Jean King for the second time in the afternoon before Serena's match. And Billie Jean King does a lot of really cool things and you know, she's got she opinions and she's very conversational like like we are. So she's like one of a number of athletes that I've gotten to interview just I think because I have I started interviewing professional athletes and it sort of went from like mid tier football player to retired sports legend to more of them. So uh, I think I have the idea of like wanting to write about a time travel thing. Like I think I was just reminiscing about 90s music and pop culture and had the quirky Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure type of idea. Like, what if I go back and just go back in time to see this concert or hit this sandwich shop that I used to love that's closed now or this bar and um, just kind of evolved around music. But in creating characters, I think I leaned on my improv comedy training and also just retelling people's, you know, telling stories of other people made it kind of maybe not easy, but not that hard to to come up with, you know, two characters in a bar talking about something that's important to them and revealing their quirks through their dialogue. And then, you know, giving them a purpose besides just, you know, sitting there talking or being characters. So in creating 90 days and 90s, I inadvertently created this little place back in time with these cool characters that I could, you know, when I was writing for an afternoon to go back to that space in the 1990s and feel like I was tagging along I don't know how most writers do it with their characters. I mean, obviously, if you're writing about, you know, the war in Yugoslavia, probably not a fun place to hang out, you know, Um, unless you love being a a history buff or researcher like Terry or uh, an investigative journalist, none of which I am. So uh, it was more pleasant for me to kind of hang out in the past with these people and also sort of like see them as, as people and follow Darby as she goes back to sort of get her life back together by running her her favorite uncle's record store and, you know, seeing what happens from, from that vantage point.
0: Who is going to be your ideal reader? Probably
1: Gen Xers and people who, so I just turned 50. um, (laughs) I've been selling the book locally in Chicago. Chicago. Um, So I kind of thought, well, anybody loves pop culture. So I'll give you a little story of my success. I've done these little like, like art fairs. And I actually went to the farmer's market two weeks ago in my old neighborhood and the neighborhood that I, I just moved out of there. It was called called Lincoln Square. Literally, it's people who are my age who may or may not have kids. They definitely don't want to move to the suburbs. They love the city. And you know, they they kind of love the city because of its cultural offerings and that there's a lot of cool things to do. So I just put up a table there. I thought, well, oh, I'll sell a couple of copies. It was only 30 bucks to sign up. And in the span of like three and a half hours, I sold 15 copies. And it was like people come to be like, oh, what's they see my banner with a picture of somebody who's like at a concert, like crowd surfing and the banner basically says what it says on the back of my book. Like, what could you, what would you do if you could time travel back to the 1990s Um, pictures and the the cover of my book, strong hints that it, you know, there's some time travel and there's a lot of music and pop culture. So like, I'm intrigued. What's it's about. I'm basically like, Hey, it's about somebody who's our age. Time travels back to the nineties, gets a little too hung up on the pop culture and having a good time back in 1996. And it's the response is usually like, okay, I'm sold. You know, I'll get a copy. So I think the uh, yeah the target market is really like yeah it doesn't have to be people who are forty five or fifty but people who love music love pop culture I'd say if you're really a deep cut um, you know Celine Dion fan or you really love nineteen uh, nineties Phil Collins probably not going to like my book because we we sort of poke fun at those uh, pop stars from the nineties but if you like I don't know Alanis Morissette or Allison Chains or you know any number of rock and pop bands. You Know your favorite one of your favorite movies is pulp fiction or you know, Ma- the matrix. That you know, th- there's probably going to be some pop culture things that you remember or that you value that are going to be popping up in the book. And that's, I didn't, I, I don't want to make it sound like I just name dropped a bunch of movies and bands, but the characters who are involved are really involved in as maybe as 20 somethings would be in the 90s involved in their musical tastes and what they like to do on a weekend. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I think it's just you know people who are interested in music history, pop culture, and if you're uh, in my age group, it's probably a little bit more of a a no brainer to to get in, to to be to for my book to appeal to you.
0: Didn't grow up in Chicago, but you live in Chicago now.
1: Yeah, I've moved here in '94, so I've been here more than half my life. <laughs> so uh, I grew up on the East Coast. So you know, some of those things pop up in the book, like is is should pizza be cutting triangle triangles or squares, you know, should pizza be thin crust or deep dish? Cause people get their pants in a bunch about that thing, you know, that kind of thing. And remember the first and time pineapple. I got, yeah, thin crust pizza cut in squares. And I'm like, what's, what's this about? It's a, a regional thing that people like, you know, I've had people from Philly and New Jersey be like, I think that's BS if they cut a pizza like this, like what's, what's going on here, even though it, it kind of tastes the same, I think it's hard to screw up pizza, but We get passionate about those things and people actually will like get in an argument with you, you know, a fun argument about whether or not you should put like you would never put ketchup on your hot dog in in Chicago. But, you know, I grew up putting ketchup on my hot dog because I'm from from the East Coast. And my my dad's, you know, Midwestern English guy from Ohio. And they put ketchup on everything, including scrambled eggs and probably, you know, mashed potatoes, too. So. I like to, I mean, I'm fascinated with those little regional differences. Now, where are you from, by the way? Where do you live right now?
0: I'm from Canada. I'm in Calgary, Alberta, Canada.
1: So I thought you said, so the little I know about Calgary is that um, there is a rodeo circuit up there, right?
0: Yeah. Every July, first week of July. So much so that the
1: the sports team is named the Calgary Stampede, and I know that, I think Doug Flutie played there. Uh...
0: Stampeders aren't actually named after the Calgary Stampede. Oh, they're not? Okay. And they're, yeah, the football team. Yeah. (laughs) And our uh, hockey team is called the Calgary flames. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's regional things that pop up. I'm not sure what you're proud of. If you're from Delaware, you know, there's probably something um, from being from Philly. We kind of make fun of Delaware because that's where all like the furniture museums are and stuff. But um, the fact that we can kind of joke about those things and make fun of them, I think makes for good dialogue conversation and that, you know, Nebraska and Maine and Oklahoma and Florida are not the same just because we're part of the same country. That there's these little things that exist that, you know, are di- make it different than Chicago. And I don't know, I'm just sort of fascinated with those little differences, and it informs some of my writing, I suppose.
0: So, besides sports and music and <laughs> movies, what else are you extremely interested in? Hmm. <sighs>
1: Let's see. Well, those are some of the main things. I I dabble in golf, but I'm not very good at it. Um, I love soccer. Well, those are sports. So, okay. Uh, I like to read, but I like to read uh, nonfiction. Uh, One of my favorite authors is George Plimpton, who kind of wrote about just sort of everyday people and quirky people. And he wrote a book called the X factor where he, the book is about um, why successful people are successful and it's sort of an irreverent look at it. Like, it, it's not what you would think it is. If you if you know anything about George Plimpton, he tells a lot of really good anecdotes. So, for example, like, he follows the Bush family um, probably when George Herbert Walker Bush was president, because I think this book came out in 1991, and that apparently, I didn't know this about the Bushes, that they're really competitive in horseshoes. Like, if there's a Bush family gathering, they're all about horseshoes, and it doesn't matter. You know, whoever wins the horseshoe tournament during their weekend, you know, hang out when there's barbecue and hanging out with kids like they get bragging rights. That's a big deal to their family. Um, I thought just thought that was kind of fascinating that George hung out with them for a weekend. And that was such a big part of their family. Uh, my family is like a lot of uh, just kind of like I I remember going to my grandma's in Ohio and seeing cousins and that aspect of family. There's like I, I'm in a fa- an extended family that I feel like our whole existence is based on family reunions pretty much like not just holidays, but there's like these little things that we do that, you know, that we still talk about. And so, uh, you know, I'm I got a small family in Chicago, my wife and my kid who's 16 and we got a dog and, you know, we're sort of remote from where I grew up. But I don't know. I guess from that, what I'm trying to say is I'm really interested in American culture and storytelling because mm-hmm. I think people are interesting and it's, it's fascinating what little things we were motivated by or what, that we spend our time on. So
0: speaking of spending your time on besides writing and promoting your book, what else are you spending your time on?
1: So I teach uh, college kids, seniors, mostly social media and digital marketing. Mm-hmm. And of course uh, you can probably guess from what I'm talking about, that a lot of it is like comparing the old with the new. I actually taught a class like last week where I showed them a picture of a map that had the the underwater cables that were laid in 1901 to start connecting the UK and the US. So I'm kind of fat and I ask I ask a lot of questions. I think I'm a pretty good listener. So when I'm teaching, I want it to be a dialogue conversation. Let's sort of, you know, combine your perspective with mine and let's talk about how the world is different because of social media or digital media or, you know. Mass media. And that's, that's one of the things I do. I also, uh, my wife's a psychologist. I, you know, people, first thing that they ask me is does that mean she over, she analyzes, you No, Um, but you know, like I do some marketing for her firm. I handle some of the books. I pay the bills. Um, that's one of the things that I'm, I guess I'm pretty good at. And other than that, I walk my dog a lot. My dog is a, a friendly, curious dog. And I never knew I was a dog person until a couple of years ago when we got a dog, but you know, If you have a dog, you're a dog person. That's
0: it, changes everything. Uh, Yeah, we've had a dog for I think it's almost nine or 10 years now, and Mm -hmm. we've got a cat a couple years after that. And then we added another cat to the family about three years ago. And it's like, okay, children and kids, it's like that's my life, besides podcasting and social media and creating content. Um, you know, but I, I find, um, especially in situations like this where I get right, to meet people like yourself, uh, perspective is, and getting somebody else's perspective
1: mm-hmm. is
0: fascinating. Yeah. So from the point of view of writing, uh, are you self-published or are you traditionally published or indie? How does it? Yeah. I
1: went with an independent publisher called Atmosphere Press. So they, you know, it's a hybrid publisher. I did pony up, you know, some of the costs, but yeah. Um, yeah, dude, I thought they did a great like they I'm pointing the wrong way. I'm pointing my my cover here. I thought that they just kind of assigned they assigned you an editor and they assign you a, a graph design for your cover and they, they assigned me this guy named Ronaldo, who is in Brazil, who the first thing Ronaldo will tell you is just because I'm from Brazil doesn't mean I know how to play soccer. Um so <laughs> I didn't know what what I was gonna be like, do I gotta tell this guy what my book's about or you know, how are we gonna connect here? And I think he must have read it or read part of it or speed read it or something. But he came up with this kind of um, yeah, you know, this kind of like almost comic booky cover that I love. High la- high wavelength colors. Like I don't wear red very much because I think I look I don't look good in red. And a lot of sports teams I hate wear red, but like he has this bright red cover that I think just worked. And it's kind of worked in part of my marketing. Like it's kind of hard to miss. I know a lot of books that are mostly like serious fiction with dark troubled characters. It seems like to me the covers are always black or white. Um, I don't know. I just, I think my book is, there's some serious issues in it, but it's a lot more lighthearted. I want readers to enjoy it. So I went with this indie publisher, Atmosphere Press. They do some good, some things good, and they do some other things just so-so like their marketing is, eh, you know, it's, I'm a better at marketing than they are. But I also think that when you go with an indie or a hybrid publisher, like it's on you to sort of make the connections and tell your stories an author. I know that Terry Brown is, you know, in a remote part of North Carolina and she's, does a lot of online stuff, a lot of podcasts. And so she's got to kind of speak to her crowd and, and sort of talk to the right people who've, you know, she's got a very different format than I do. Whereas I'm I'm at the street fair, the art fair, the farmer's market, knowing that, you know, some guy who just went to a concert last week that I was at is probably going to walk by and and see my book. So yeah, it's very like um, high touch personal marketing when you go, I think published through a small publisher, but I, you know, I, so far it's so far so good. And, you know, I went through the route. I went to some, some uh, San Francisco book or uh, San Francisco writers conference and, you know, met with agents and kind of pitched it traditionally. Before that, I went to the first conference I ever went to was the Northern Colorado writing conference, which is in Fort Collins. And I have a friend who is there. So it was great opportunity to see her. She's a college professor and it was, it was me And a bunch of dog people writing memoirs about dogs and a bunch of people writing memoirs about Alzheimer's. And then like, you know, mountain fishing, canoeing people, of course, they're all over Colorado. So I kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. And then I had this book about, you know, time traveler in the city who's really into music. Um, But I made some good contacts there and just kind of like, you know, learned about writing and publishing. I think a little bit just asking a lot of questions and, and got some two cents on like what I should improve and, some things to think about in, in publishing a book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, I think they did a, good, a very good job with the cover design too. And if you, your wife's a psychologist, I'm not sure if she's told you like the color itself, if she got into the psychology of color at all, mm-hmm. excitement and passion and energy and action is exactly what that cover speaks of. Well, so that, it's a good fit. It's not, for,
1: it's not a book for boring people, but I guess boring people would like it too. So. <laughs>
0: I hope I guess there's there's a gray area about boring. There's very, you know, it depends on your perspective on boring. I mean, how do how can you be boring when you like music?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean,
0: uh... especially <laughs> 90s music.
1: Yeah, but I, I've got friends who are like really into the the smart people 90s music, like Radiohead and Built to Spill, and like so. What I'm talking about is if you don't know those bands. I went to a Built to Spill show. It actually the first week I was dating my wife. I'm w- I'm with my best friend. He's like, we're gonna go to this see this show, and I'm and I'm literally standing around um, next to guys with beards who don't have girlfriends. You could tell. So fast forward in 2013, my my one of my good friends who's deep cut in music he's like, let's go see Built to Spill. I'm like, I don't really like, like the band, but I'll go with you. I uh, met him there and, and literally I was like, okay, I'm surrounded by the same people, but their hair's a little gray, or They got a little, little less hair. And uh, you know, it's still the, the smart guys with beards and no girlfriends. And then a month ago, my son is going with his friend. He's like, uh, my friend Domi and his dad are going to see built to spill. Can you give me like money for tickets? I'm like, yeah, I don't want to go with you, but have fun. And I think I asked him like, were well, you surrounded by a bunch of, you know, like tech nerds? And, and actually he said, no, I think there are actually some women there, but <laughs> you know as a music fan you make fun of bands i can kind of like if i know if i'm going to see rush i'm gonna be surrounded by a bunch of men and they're mostly gonna be really good at math that's just the way it is you know um I
0: don't know. <laughs> that's it's very stereotypical but you know what i mean there's something to be said about it when you uh say that you're a music snob what does that mean
1: Oh, I just more of a music enthusiast and that we I have opinions. I actually had somebody in a podcast ask me, it's a, a younger guy who's like, Yeah, I like nineties music too. What do you think of third eye blind? And I'm like, mm, you know, I'm gonna be nice here and say that it's not really my thing, um, versus like give you what I really think, unless you really want it. So uh yeah, we we sort of I guess with nineties with music enthusiasts and snobs, if we want to use that term authenticity is important. And we were sort of, so I was, I graduated high school in 1990, graduated college in 94. To me, it was a big deal that um, commercial radio went from, you know, like Amy Grant and Debbie Gibson and, you know, like Richard Marks one day to the cure and Alison chains and Pearl jam. And like these, you know, kind of singer songwriters that were highly polished probably by the record companies to, you know, bands that played their instruments and wrote their songs and their songs weren't about happy, perky stuff or it wasn't baby, baby, baby. They kind of didn't really care whether you liked what the content of their songs were about, but they were true. So I think that people who are amenable to that, that's probably what a music snob is or music enthusiasts from the 90s, like we're really into, you know, the artist aspect versus the marketing and the record company's point of view.
0: Yeah, and and whether or not it's, nice
1: yeah like I guess there's a difference. I'm not gonna. I don't know Danielle Steele um or you know Dean Kuntz I know that people love their books but there's a difference probably in the way that they approach writing versus um oh I don't know like uh, uh, uh I don't think Don DeLillo is a great writer I find his writing hard to 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 digest but you know that that they approach books differently there's a difference between like a James Patterson and I'm not a fan of hers, but Colleen Hoover. Like they, they I think that their experiences to really Colleen Hoover really, you know, it's it's young women mostly, but she wants to touch the readers, not just put out a story that's gonna be made into a movie. There's a big difference there.
0: Well, talk to me about Darby. Darby's your main character, right? Yeah.
1: So Darby's roughly my age. She uh, know, yeah, I think a lot of people in my generation, we were told in, you know, I so saw I graduated. High school in 1990 college in 94 is told like you need to get a real job you need to like okay you want to be on radio you want to be a writer but you know you can't really pay the bills doing that I think a lot of us kind of found one of two things that we and darby finds this is that you eventually go back to your passion you realize work as a means to an end in the book darby you know went off to to work at on Wall Street you know you find out later that a lot of the reasons she left Chicago and went on to New York for quote unquote, bigger, better things is that she, she broke up with somebody, things weren't really happening. And she just sort of followed um, with some success, a career path that she thought was going to be kind of solve all the problems and satisfy her. And eventually when she makes some bad crypto trades and ruins her career and her fiance, you know, in her part ways that that didn't really work out. So what else is there? And she goes back to at the same time, her favorite uncle, Martin owns this record store in Chicago. She feels bad that she lost touch with him. And there's a whole nother thing there. But uh, later finds out that Martin willed her the record store, probably because she's the only person that values music as much as he did. So anyway, long story short, it starts in Chicago. She's got this record store. It's kind of a popular record store and it's firing on all, all cylinders. And, you know, she doesn't really know what to make of it other than just kind to reboot her life and enjoy things and try to figure out what's next. So there's a lot of that with my generation and that um, either we come back to what we are really what we really want to do, whether it's I'm only going to work 40 hours and I like my tech job, but I'm not going to let consume me or I'm a lawyer, but I want to do this because I want to, you know, I want to spend time with my kids. I want to enjoy life. There's a lot of that going on, I think, generationally and also in this book. So Darby's a person who's probably trying to figure, you know, look for to uh, to quote the uh, there's a song in the early '90s, actually came out in 89 by the indigo girls called closer to fine and Mm -hmm. i think they won a grammy for that album that is very much like i'm not a huge indigo girls fan but it's very like the song that speaks to my generation people always looking for they say we're always looking for something gen x and uh there's a lot of that in this book and darby just kind of you know decamps from her her current situation starts with this record store and lo and behold once she gets reacquainted with chicago and her love of music again that you know she hears some urban legends and some old things about chicago and one of the one of them is this time travel train called the gray line which is part of you know maybe part of the chicago transit authority it may exist it may not but the old legend is it takes you back in time if you know if you find it and lo and behold there's there's a gray line stop under her record store and she plays with the idea of time traveling back to the 90s to sort of continually reboot her life, fix some things and, you know, eventually decides to go back to the day she left uh, Chicago and to deal with some things and to kind of make some amends and, you know, maybe uh, make up with some people. And, but, you know, I guess true to our nature gets caught up in the fun of it and having a little bit too much fun back in the past and not really dealing with her stuff until she's confronted with the situation where she actually has to make some decisions and, and, you know, deal with some things. So. Yeah, she's a little bit of a wanderer. She's uh, very smart and uh, yeah, has a healthy cynicism about life and existence, but uh, is also kind of looking for answers and hoping to find her, her way, as I think a lot of us are.
0: Okay, fantastic. Thank you for sharing that with me. I understand that it was released here in June?
1: Yeah, came out in June. Um, you know, A couple of my friends bought the first copy and been promoting it just sort of word of mouth and locally ever since.
0: You gotta like that. Go to 90 90scom and buy the book directly from you. International orders go to Kindle or Amazon to purchase. Yeah, I
1: had a friend in New Zealand who uh, was who bought my book, went on the website. And then when I went to the post office, they said, yeah, that's going to be about $70 to ship that to her. So I said, let me get your refund. Unfortunately, you got to do it through Amazon because, um, you know, the way that Amazon works is that... Uh, they have a little, uh, I guess, a further reach than us independent authors do. But if you're in the United States, I'll <laughs> sign you a copy and send you some swag too. And I have these, uh, let's see, I don't know if I have a, have one handy. I've got these bookmarks that look like a concert ticket, actually.
0: Nice. I think, book,
1: I think cool bar- bookmarks are like pens. Like they're just something that I like to have. And I've got some stickers and some other things. I don't have any more t-shirts, unfortunately, but, you know, anything I could fit in an envelope, I can send along.
0: Got anything that you could put on a trade show table? That's oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah.
1: Very small trade of table. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, that's fantastic, Andy. Thank you very much for that. Appreciate mm-hmm. you sharing with me today.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me on.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, like, follow, and share. And we always love reviews. Until next time, thanks for listening. A big thank you to Visibility Pod for taking over the management of our podcast production, from creating and uploading podcasts, to doing the editing, scheduling the interviews, coordinating with guests, creating additional content managing our social platforms and distribution of our content and Jennifer's guesting and hosting. Thank you, Visibility Pod, for all your services and management of our podcast.